This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Support for this podcast and the following messages come from our friends at the Paul Mueller Company and Hopsteiner. Please thank them. This podcast wouldn't be possible without their generous support. Paul Mueller Company has been manufacturing quality brewing equipment since 1964. Our innovative design and engineering will save you time, labor, and ingredients, sending money back to your bottom line. Learn more about our new mobile hop module at paulmuller.com. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. And pretty much 100% of the Beatles just got sorted out right in the first uh, collection bag. And uh, that, was, that was to me right when I fell in love with this particular machine. What's better than learning from your own mistakes? Learning from other people's mistakes, of course. This week on the show, practical tips and lessons learned the hard way from our guest who's here to help you make better beer. Hi, my name is Andy Tibikram, and I'm with Market Garden Brewery in Cleveland, Ohio. Andy, you recently gave an excellent presentation at the Master Brewers Eastern Technical Conference. You covered six practical sort of lessons learned, and we're going to roll through those today. Before we jump in, what's the common theme? What have these six things accomplished for you? Well, uh, they are basically based on uh, just my my almost three decades of being in this industry and uh, just making a lot of mistakes. And uh, so when I when I go through mistakes and I see a solution to that particular problem, then I kind of get excited. And this is this is what these things all are, basically solutions to problems I've already encountered. And I think other people will as well. All right, great. Let's talk about number one on your list. You think every brewery should have a malt cleaner. That's probably, yes. there's, there's probably a lot of craft brewers listening that have never considered installing a malt cleaner. Tell us why they should. Well, uh, I mean, a malt cleaner is a, a very useful device. Obviously, it cleans malt, so either, either by screening or by some kind of sieve or even uh, there's pneumatic ones. But uh, the simplest ones are simply just like a rotating screen. And, and what it's designed to do is just sort out any particles that are either too large or too small uh, compared to what a, a kernel of grain should be. And uh, you, we're pretty lucky in this country. We have pretty good uh, malt cleaning at the malt houses, but it's not always perfect. And, and especially in Europe, you can see a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff coming over, especially little bits of chaff, uh, twigs, stems, but also rocks uh, and, and bits of metal. Uh, now, most mills have a, a magnet set on top to uh, obviously reduce the risk of uh, sparks from, from metal. But you can also uh, get rocks passing through your mill, and that'll screw up the rollers pretty badly. 
So if you don't want to have to replace your mill rollers every couple of years, uh, if you have a malt cleaner in front of it, that'll really help with that you know, reduction in your life of your rollers. Very good. And I bet it saves you from ending up with brews that have a ton of chaff in them too, right? Yes. So especially if you, if you get your malt delivered pneumatically by a truck into a silo, uh, there's usually this, this layer of chaff and, and stuff, mostly husk material that, that kind of lays on top. And as you, as you draw down the silo, that, that layer eventually gets drawn through and you end up with a brew that typically has just, uh, it's, it's a couple degrees Plato off for where it should be. Uh, it, it has all this junk floating around in the louder ton that doesn't really need to be there. Uh, so if you had a cleaner, you would basically uh, just you'd delete all that before it ever got to your brew house. Uh, and that can be a, a pretty useful thing, in my opinion. You did a special brew with local ingredients that threw you quite a curveball. What went wrong there? Yeah, uh, that, was, that was an interesting stress test for us. Uh, so... Yeah, we got some malt in, and uh, unfortunately, the malt had been contaminated with a bunch of grain beetles, and we didn't catch it before we threw a couple bags into our system. And then we noticed, oh my God, there's all these beetles running around. And our uh, our malt handling system is all chain and disc, so it's all enclosed. Uh, so we were we're kind of freaking out about all these beetles potentially like getting carried through the whole system and taking up residence in the grist case, and you know, having to just uh, dismantle the whole system to clean it out. Um, but fortunately, the malt cleaner came to the rescue, and pretty much 100% of the beetles just got sorted out right in the first uh, <laughs> collection bag. And uh, that, was, that was, to me, right when I fell in love with this particular machine. All right, what's number two on your list? So number two is a, is a pretty simple thing, yet uh, I find a lot of breweries actually don't have them. And that's a, just a standard gauge, a, a, a means to calibrate your pressure gauges around your brewery. So, uh, for example, we, we have one that's made by Zom and Nagel, but it can, anybody can build one of these things. It's pretty simple. Uh, it consists of a nice uh, mechanical pressure gauge and basically a, a keg pump, a little you know, pony tap pump. Uh, you could do the same thing with a bicycle pump. And uh, it, basically, you have the ability to hook up uh, either your, your, if you have a Zom, you can hook up your whole Zom uh, shaker device to it, or you can unthread the gauge that you're testing and, and mount it to this unit and then you pump it up and you compare the pressure on your gauge versus that of the, uh, the standard gauge and then if you've got good gauges that can be recalibrated you could make an adjustment there so uh, it's especially useful for um you know for your for your zom uh, which you're hooking up to your tank of beer to uh test the carbonation and you know these things get filled with beer then you have to shake the bejesus out of it and the gauges basically go out of calibration pretty quickly so you, you should be testing them every week something like six pallets of beer made a compelling <laughs> argument to bring a gauge standard into your brewery why don't you tell us about that yeah yeah so I, even though i i do know better uh when we first started up our production brewery here two years ago we did not have a standardized gauge and so we were using just our zom and kind of assumed that it was correct and then we we ran a bunch of wheat beer uh, that was supposed to be at uh, coming out about 2.7 volumes in the bottle. And it was actually coming around around 2.4 uh, when we finally tested the bottles. And that's when we said, oh, this is a problem. You know, that's, that carbonation is just too low for this type of beer. So we ended up with, you know, six pallets of beer that we had to send to basically our kitchen in the brew pub to uh, <laughs> use it up in, in cooking. And that's kind of an expensive lesson right there. So 
we ordered up a standard ice gauge the next day. Sure is. Even though I do know better would be a, a great title for a, a presentation <laughs> or a book, I'm, I'm sure I could contribute a lot to something like that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, okay, so how often do you end up using this gauge standard? Uh, we, we try to do it uh, at least weekly on, uh, on our, our tank carbonation testers. Uh, and then you have various other gauges, like for just for tank pressures. Uh, so whenever you just see them not, not, like not going back to zero or, or going below zero, that's when you should probably uh, pull it off and, and check it out. And uh, just uh, yeah, have you, have you found that you, you have you found that you need to do calibrations, you know, maybe more often than you expected? Yes, I, I would say yes. Um, you know, if you do it, if you say, "Well, we're going to do it once a month," uh, that's probably not going to hold up. It depends on how much you brew and, and how you take care of your equipment. Uh, I think the worst offenders are people that have a ZOM or or some other, you know, tank calibration. Uh, uh, sorry, tank CO2 tester. But if you don't rinse the beer out right away and it dries in there, that'll screw up the gauge pretty quickly. Yeah. Okay, how about number three? Okay, well, three is uh, something that I think most larger breweries already have in some form, uh, but that's just a, a good CIP system. And, uh, you know, CIP systems are something that I think everybody kind of already has, even if they don't think about it. It's just a, a pot and a pump, essentially. But uh, to have the ability to have a kind of a centralized system that, you know, you can uh, monitor all your chemical additions and uh, get proper flow rates for cleaning. Uh, there's just a, there's a lot of benefit to that. And most people think the primary benefit is saving on chemical costs. I, I don't really think that's the primary driver. I think the primary driver is just your, your better cleaning ability. And uh, everything else flows from that, literally. Up. Uh, because if, if you think about it, a spray ball on a tank is also a kind of strainer. And if they've got large objects flowing through your system, they'll all kind of eventually end up in your spray ball, which is not where you want them. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Pittsburgh meets at Piper's Pub June 4th. District Midwest meets at 7th Sun Brewing in Columbus June 9th. District New York meets at Anheuser-Busch in Newark June 14th. District Philly's annual golf outing is June 15th. The annual District Texas Summer Meeting is the weekend of August 3rd in Kerrville. Registration is now open for the ASBC MBAA Brewing Summit, which takes place in San Diego this August. Register at mbaa.com, where you can also view the full calendar of events with more details or find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. So what would you consider to be some of the key components to a CIP system? Sure. So there's uh, quite a few features you can do uh, or implement into a CIP system. Uh, and some of the primary ones to think about or, or to, you know, if you're going to build one, for example, some of the ones you might want to incorporate first would be uh, controlling your pump speed. So having a frequency drive on your pump 
so you can modulate it up and down as needed. Uh, you should also ideally have some ability to heat the chemicals. So whether it's an in-tank heating system or if you can recirculate through a heat exchanger, uh, that's that's really the, the best case scenario. Uh, it's really also nice if you can monitor your flow rate and your and your total. So having a couple of mag meters or totalizers in the system. Uh, for example, on ours, we have one on the supply uh, going out, and we also have one on the return line coming back. And that way you can match your pump speed. Uh, it, it's especially important if you're cleaning a fermenter or a bright beer tank. It's very easy to send out caustic or cleaning solution uh, at one speed, uh, but then it, maybe the, the tank is kind of you know not draining as fast and your, your return pump could cavitate. So you're not sending the chemical back to the system at the same rate, if at all. So you know that this it's just an ability to to measure and monitor what you're doing really comes in handy. Uh, and there's a bunch of other features as well that uh, maybe not quite as as important, but still nice to have. Uh, for example, you can have a conductivity meter uh, into your in your system, so you can tell uh, when your when your chemicals are going from you know. A high caustic solution down to a, a rinse so you can determine when to flip a valve to drain for example uh, you also can have tank level uh, so you don't overfill or underfill your system uh, automated chemical feed things like that i think some of the other ones you um you cover that are pretty interesting uh t- maybe talk about some of the benefits of like adding a uh air connection uh to blow out lines and also some of the um uh, the straining and, and, and filtering um, issues. Sure. So uh, an air blow valve is kind of a nice feature because when you're done with a CIP, especially at a line circuit, uh, or a, you know, a pipe process loop, there's a lot of water typically just laying in those lines. So when you go to disconnect a, a hose or something, there's, you know, all this water comes shooting out. Uh, if you have an air blow, you can just basically blow out all that water to drain before you disconnect your loop. Uh, and you can move a lot of a lot of water with a little bit of air, so it's a very easy thing to add. Uh, you also can install strainers in your system, which are a good idea, either a strainer or a bag filter, uh, just basically to collect any particulates that might, uh, well, that you wouldn't want flowing around your system. Uh, because if, if you think about it, a spray ball on a tank is also a kind of strainer, and if they've got large objects flowing through your system, they'll all kind of eventually end up in your spray ball, which is not where you want them. So if you have some kind of a, a bag filter or strainer before that, that will save you some grief. I have definitely cleaned some interesting things out of spray balls. Yes. <laughs> Let's see, number four on the list uh, is a combined tank top. Uh, what's the problem we want to solve there? Yeah, so what, what that is, is a, a device that sits on top of your tank that combines the spray ball and the pressure and vacuum relief all in one kind of large, hefty fitting. And what, what the problem there is, is basically human nature. Uh, most, most breweries have a you know, pressure relief valve. Usually it's a combined pressure and vacuum valve sitting on the top of the tank, but it's, it's a separate fitting over on the side. And you have to physically climb up a ladder or go to the top of the tank to access that. And then, you, you know, you're supposed to check it between every brew uh, or between every tank usage and make sure that it's functioning and it's clean. Even though but, I know uh, better. <laughs> yes. And, and especially if, you know, if you have tall tanks and they're hard to get to, if you have to use a scissor lift or, or get on a ladder and it's 20 feet up in the air, uh, human nature being what it is, somebody might not go up there and check that thing. 
and then you can have a situation where there was like a you know a bunch of high croizen got up on the top of the head of the tank and the, C- the CIP did not clean it out of the valve uh, bottom you know so it could be dried there and preventing that valve from working and then you, know, you can have a catastrophic tank failure either either an implosion or god forbid an explosion so if you have this combined tank top uh, as the CIP solution is going to the spray ball it's also uh, kind of and it's hard to describe it's, if you go to the uh, presentation site you can see pictures of these things but it's basically a bucket and attached to it are the pressure and vacuum relief valve and, and there's holes drilled in the elbow of the CIP arm and it shoots the cleaning solution up inside that bucket so you're cleaning all the valve surfaces as your CIP in the tank so you're kind of eliminating that human nature aspect of somebody forgetting or or deliberately not cleaning that that particular object so it's a very useful thing Number five is something that any brewer who is serious about controlling dissolved oxygen has at least thought about. Tell us what number five is and why it's on your list. Yeah, so five is a de-aerated water system. And uh, it's it's not the cheapest thing to buy, but you can, uh, as a brewery, you can make de-aerated water. Uh, the reason people want and, and have a need for de-aerated water in a brewery is... Uh, to basically, you know, reduce your total dissolved oxygen pickup in your beer. And so anytime you're doing a tank transfer or if you're starting up or finishing up a filtration or clarification cycle, uh, if you're purging your packaging line, your filler bowl, uh, uh, if you can use it for jetter and rinser water for bottles or cans. Uh, you can use it for rinsing out bright beer tanks. If you uh, are doing like a, an acid cleaning and keeping the CO2 in the, in the environment in that tank. Uh, to not introduce a bunch of, uh, you know, air oxygen into the tank with the rinse water is a very useful thing. Uh, and finally, you can also use it for uh, high gravity brewing, which is what the, most of the large brewers are doing with it. But I, I find that just the, the utility of having uh, deaerated water is just something that's it's almost essential, I think, especially if you're running any kind of a filter. To be able to push that filter out with DA water before you run beer really helps a lot. Uh, so when talking about deaerated water, there's essentially three approaches that you can use. One is obviously you can buy a dedicated system from a vendor that will deliver the water in the in the quality and parameters that you need and the flow rate you need. Um, the other option is you can try and build a deaerated water system. So for that, you're going to need a tank. Uh, and then you have to have some kind of way to run water in while you're running a stripping gas through that tank, whether it's CO2 or nitrogen. That'll purge out the uh, the DO. Uh, trouble with that is that takes time, uh, and it costs also limits you to you know you've got that tank of water. Once that's depleted, then you have to make up another tank, and that can take many hours. Uh, so you know there's there's a limiting factor there. Uh, but finally, it's very very easy, uh, but also limiting. You can use your brew kettle, so you can just boil water. Uh, in boiling it, you will deaerate it. And then you can cool it down or you can run it hot into some kind of a tank or a little keg, depending on how much water you need. Uh, you know, for, for uh, pushing out, say, a sheet filter, you could either run it in hot or run it in cold uh, and then, you know, scrub it out that way. But uh, again, you're you're not be able to brew while you're doing that. So there's another limiting factor. So all these things are they're good options, but, uh, you know, you have to weigh the pros and cons of how much deaerative water you need and when you need it. We need to channel our inner Fritz Maytag for number six. Uh, let's hear it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, sixth is, uh, I think, 
people should build beautiful, functional breweries whenever they can. And uh, it's it's something I know some people just kind of out of habit and, and uh, just based on their personality, build beautiful brew houses. But I think if more people paid attention to the aesthetics and also some of the functional aspects of brewery design, uh, the world would be a better place. <laughs> because I think uh, breweries essentially should be considered like uh, churches or even cathedrals, like a, a place of... Uh, not maybe not worship, but uh, definitely something that is sacred. And uh, the more we can get people to just appreciate the, the beauty of our process and what we do with it, then the more uh, attractive it comes to go to visit a brewery, and it just helps your overall uh, consumer appeal for your beer. But I think there's also some functional aspects. Uh, you know, bringing in light to your spaces. Uh, it helps you with the, the mood of the environment that you're working in. Uh, it also helps if you can kind of dehumidify the space and keep it, you know, just not saturated with moisture. So moving air through the brewery and, uh, you know, just uh, helping helping with your overall environment. Really, uh, it's kind of a just a big psychological boost as well. It just helps with your overall sanitation efforts of keeping the place mold-free. So uh, I call those, you know, functional spaces, and, and I think there's some thought that should go into them instead of just throwing tanks in a building willy-nilly, uh, kind of really thinking about the layout and how the whole environment as a package works together. Any other tips on sort of how, the, how you uh, have the, the, the general public interact with the space as well? Uh, well, for us, we wanted to do a lot of tours in our brewery, so we built uh, a series of catwalks that kind of flows all the way through the brewery. And so you could get people into the process uh, without being in the way of the process. So they're kind of walking along the upper level of the tanks uh, and, and walking past the brew house and actually through the brew house. But, uh, you know, they're not going down on the, on the processing floor where there's hoses and things that they walk over. So that just helps uh, with the overall flow of people through the place. Uh, Oh, I forgot to throw my, my Fritz Maytag quote. Oh, yeah, there. you better do that. <laughs> so uh, I, I love to quote uh, Fritz Maytag, who is the, the founder of uh, Anchor Brewing Company in San Francisco. And he said once at a brewer's conference, and I'll always remember, he said, you can brew good beer in an ugly brewery, but why on earth would you want to? <laughs> I think that is, uh, that's just a great sentiment. That was Andy Tavikram here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you'd like to see pictures of anything Andy mentioned, head on over to the Meetings tab at mbaa.com, where you'll find the District Presentations Archive. From there, browse the 2018 Eastern Technical Conference under District Mid-Atlantic. And speaking of meetings, I'm really looking forward to the ASBC MBAA Brewing Summit coming up this August in San Diego. It only happens every four years, and it's not like any other conference you've attended. The Brewing Summit is 100% the science and technology of brewing. No pep rallies or business lectures, and you'll be surrounded by some of the smartest men and women in our industry. If you can only attend one conference in 2018, this should be it. Register now at MBAA.com. Since there's one thing that I should have told you I may be two things that you should have known, so I...